0: Hey, good morning, church. How are we doing? Got a little traffic jam on the stage right now. It's all good. Thanks, Ace. Thanks a lot. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles or device, however you're looking at God's Word this morning. That was really loud. Um, we can go to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be continuing uh, in our prayer series called Draw Near. And we're going to look uh, this morning at a prayer of Paul for the Colossians Uh, And what he was praying for them, in an essence, is praying for us. And so, uh, Adam, he's out uh, doing a little anniversary trip with his wife, so let's pray for them that they get uh, time with each other, get refreshment, and all that they need, uh, and we'll jump into what we're going to do here today. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would meet us in this place, that we wouldn't just learn about prayer, though that's important, but that we would learn how to actually pray. Uh, that the things we hear this morning would encourage us to pray, uh, to seek you, uh, and to seek the benefit of others. It's not always prayers for us, but the importance of intercession and what we're praying on behalf of those around us, especially our church family. So Lord, would you speak to us today and remind us how to pray? In Jesus' name, amen. So right here we get the introduction of Colossians 1, Uh, And I think we're like really tempted to read this introduction and just skim right over it, right? I mean, is there anybody out there that reads introductions to books? Anybody would be willing to raise your hand and say, oh yeah, I don't skip that part. Okay, there's like a few, right? So I think my hypothesis is true that most of us don't read that. We just jump straight into the story or whatever we're reading, right? We're like, ah, introduction, that guy's, that's probably helpful, I guess, whatever. I'm just going to jump straight into this because I need to know what's going on. I need to know what to do. I need to know maybe how I fit into this story or what's going on. And so we just fly past these introductions. And I think it's, it's true in these opening parts of the, of the Bible and opening part of Paul's letters. He's always modeling this, not always, it's nine out of 13 letters that he models this, this prayer of thanksgiving uh, to the people that he's writing to. And it's not just a formality, it's not just an introduction. It actually sets up the whole book. Did you know that's what the introductions were for in books? Is they actually set up the whole thing and like tell you what they're going to do and why they're doing it, where it's going? Those are helpful. And the same is true here with with Paul and his letters and his introductions. He's writing to us and he is showing us what he wants to pray on the behalf of this church, but also what he's going to speak to them the rest of the letter. So let's read in Colossians 1, uh, starting in verse 3, and then we'll go to 14. Now, here's what Paul is writing to the Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, and as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it is also it does amongst you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we look at this passage uh, in the introduction here, I, I really want us to see what is the, the crux or the center of what Paul is praying for the Colossians, and it's the gospel This is a gospel-centered prayer that he has for the Colossians, that what the Lord has done in him through his gospel, he will continue to do through them, and he prays specific things around what that looks like. And so right here we see the center of what he is doing is the gospel. He's praying around it, what it does in our lives, and what he wants it to see happen in the lives of the Colossians. So three things that we'll see this morning in this passage. First is, If we're not experiencing the grace of God daily, we will not ask God to do this in the lives of others. Uh, Second, gospel prayers lead us to hearts that are thankful for all God has done and is doing in the people around us. And the third thing we'll see today is gospel prayers produce fruit in the lives of others. And so it seems simple, but yet so effective and so profound because the gospel is so deep. We're never going to... um, run out. We're never going to exhaust it. We're going to keep looking at it like a multifaceted diamond, finding different uh, things that we've never seen before or experienced. Uh, we were joking with the guys in the back. He's like, are you going to preach your gospel sermon again? Yes, I am. Like (laughs) when I get up here, this is what you can expect from me. It's going to be rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there's so many avenues, so many facets, so many things to explore. Within the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, as we start out the gate here, we need to look at, and I'll show you where he roots it in the gospel, and it's really in verses five and six. It says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before, the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, and indeed the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing, also it has amongst you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. That is the center of Paul's prayer for them. He is so thankful that the Lord has revealed the gospel to them, that he has saved them. And since the day they've heard it, they started to grasp and understand the grace of God that actually affects their everyday life. That this gospel is not just something that saved them and was an entryway into faith, but that the gospel is the same thing. We grow deeper in our faith, and it will be the thing that brings us home to glory. And so he's praying for this depth of the gospel, this understanding of the grace of God since the first day they heard it would continue to increase and bear fruit amongst them. So we've got to be really clear on what the gospel is, right? Because we can say gospel, gospel, and it's almost like it, it loses its impact or loses what it means. So a simple definition that I like to use for the gospel is based out of 1 Corinthians fifteen one 1-4. And so you can read that later and check my definition and see if you think that lines up with that. So out of 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, this is where I see the gospel. The gospel is good news for those who recognize their need of who Jesus is and what he's done in saving them. Seems pretty simple, right? The gospel is good news for those who recognize their need of who Jesus is and what he's done in saving them. So let's look at this definition. Uh, the gospel is primarily news, right? We know that, right? We know the gospel means good news. The Greek word evangelion uh, could have been used in a lot of ways. In the culture back then, but one of the ways that it was used was a herald leaving the battlefield. If he's coming back to your village and you want to know whether you won or not, or whether you're about to get oppressed by the other people who are trying to take you over, one way you knew you won was the herald came back into town screaming, "Evangelion, Evangelion, good news! We get to be our people. We get to be free." The People have gone and fought on our behalf, and now we're receiving all the benefits of their victory that we get to be a free people. And our people in our village here right now, we're saved. you see that? Can you see the gospel now? Can you see that use in what Christ has done for us? The gospel is news. It's not advice. It's not steps. It's not tips and tricks to a better life. It is the good news that Jesus Christ left heaven and became a man. Fully God and fully man, he came and dwelt with his creation that was broken, that was fallen, that needed to experience the love of God, that needed to experience salvation and forgiveness of sins. And Jesus comes and he lives the perfect life that we could not. He perfectly fulfills the law where we fall short. And then, not only that, he goes to the cross and he dies a sacrificial death in our place. He takes our shame our brokenness, our sinfulness, all of it, all the weight of sin on the shoulders of Jesus Christ because he can bear it and we can't. And he dies in our place, a real death. Jesus really died for us. That really happened in history, in real time and space. The gospel is news of what Jesus has done. And he didn't stay dead. But that he rose from the grave three days later, victorious over Satan's sin and death, and for those who would put their trust in him for salvation, we have eternal life in a relationship with God. Amen. All right, we know this, right? But who is Paul writing this to? You can interact with me if you want to. You can say it. I won't get upset. Who is Paul writing this to? The Colossians. That's very good. That's what the book is called. Y'all, are, man, y'all are quick. Y'all are sharp. Uh, who are the Colossians that Paul is writing to here? What, who are they in? Jesus Christ. They're Christians. That's where I'm going with this, guys. Wake up. Need more coffee? You can go out and get, grab it real quick and come back. Uh, they're Christians. Why in the world would Paul be writing the gospel to Christians? Because we so easily forget it. We so easily forget it. We forget our need of the gospel, that's the next part of the definition, right? The gospel is good news rooted in Jesus Christ of our need. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. I can't save myself. I can't put my trust in my own work and righteous ability to earn my way to heaven or earn a relationship with God. And, and not only that from a righteous, self, self-righteous standpoint, but also from a standpoint of just how we live our lives. What are we putting our hope and trust in? Is it our jobs? Is it our bank accounts? Is it our houses or are our vacations, experiences? Where are we putting hope and trust to find life? And so we need to recognize that these things leave us unsatisfied. These things, nothing wrong with them, right? We can enjoy them as long as we enjoy them within the context God's given us. And we can leads us back to a thankfulness with God. And we use our resources for Him and His kingdom and all those things. Those are great. But... They can't save us. They can't give us worth. They can't give us value. They can't love us. But our God has. And guess when he loved you? He loved you while you were still a sinner. Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that unbelievable? I mean, he died for us when we were at our worst. And this is... The God who has saved us. This is the work he's done on our behalf for those who recognize this deep need that I've been trusting in so many things to save myself, yet I can't possibly do it. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, that he has done all this work on my behalf. So we need to recognize our need for the Savior. We need to see Jesus for who he really is, not some version of who we want him to be, right? That's why it's so important to get back in the word of God. And to see Jesus and to read the Gospels and to read the Scriptures and be able to see that God is not like us. (laughs) That God is other than us. He is holy. He is set apart. Yet this holy and set apart God chooses to put on flesh and blood and come and identify with his broken creation. And come and walk amongst us and live amongst us and show us the Gospel, teach us the Gospel, but ultimately go and be the Gospel through his life, death, and resurrection for us. This is what we're trusting in. We're trusting in who Jesus is, God's son, 100% man, 100% God, come to save us. And he came to do it through his work on our behalf. I've already talked about it. His perfect life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that he is reigning and ruling right now. He is alive, and we can place our trust in him. That's the gospel. And then the last part of the definition That God is saving us. He has saved us, right? For some of us. For some of us, we have placed our hope, right? We've turned from ourself. We've turned from the things we're trusting in. And we've turned to put our faith and hope and salvation in Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. We've done that. And we've entered into the Christian life, to the Christian faith. But yet, I need the gospel again and again and again. Because the thing that saves me and the thing that saves us is also the very same thing that will sanctify us that will bear fruit as Paul's praying for the Colossians in their life. The fruit that's going to get produced isn't the good stuff that they're doing. It's because they're rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and trusting in him and believing in him and letting that belief shape how they live. So we need the gospel as much today as the day we believed. And maybe you're hearing this gospel for the first time and you're realizing, man, I just walked the aisle when I was younger and and I put my trust in Jesus maybe because just all my friends were doing it. Or maybe I did it because I just didn't want to go to hell, but I didn't know how deep this gospel really goes. That it's a transfer of trust in the things that I'm looking to to save me to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what he's done for me and who he makes me. This is the gospel. This is the center of Paul's prayer. And it says that you know it's brought understanding of God's grace. This is the amazing thing about Christianity, Right? It's a grace-based religion. Many of the other religions of the world are works-based. You know, if you do this and if you do enough good stuff, maybe this God, whoever you say you worship, will reward you, and you'll get some kind of afterlife, or maybe there's nothing after this life, or, or whatever it looks like. But the reality for us as Christians is that we need the grace of God in our lives every day to remind us of the good news of Jesus Christ. To remind us who we are in him. To remind us where the strength of the Christian life comes from. And this is what Paul centers his prayers on for Christians. The rock solid gospel of Jesus Christ that we need every day. So he's praying for them that it might produce more things in them. One of the things that it produces in Paul, and we see it spilling out onto the pages of scripture here is the second point, that gospel prayers lead us to hearts that are thankful for all God has done and is doing in the people around us. Notice the very beginning uh, there in verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So, when he starts to talk about their faith in Jesus Christ that is producing love for the saints because it's anchored in the hope of heaven... When he's saying that, he's not giving a pep talk to the Colossians, right? Like, we can skip that first part where it says, like, you know, hey, thanks be to God for all these things, and we can just say, hey, we're thankful that you're doing this. We're thankful that you are pretty awesome Christians. This is not a pep talk to the Colossians. This is because Paul's centering his prayer on the, on the gospel. This is an overflow of a thankful heart of gratitude in what God is doing in the lives of others. Not what these people are doing on their own, because apart from Christ we can do nothing. But because they are abiding in him and abiding in salvation, these are the things that are being produced, and it leads Paul to an outburst of thanksgiving. Outburst of thanksgiving on their part. You know, sometimes I think when we're talking with people and we're seeking to maybe encourage them, sometimes we just care so much about what people think about us, we just try to puff them up and tell them how awesome they are, right? Do we do this? Is it just me? And sometimes I want these people's affirmation and I want what they can give me, which is selfish love, right? I just want what you can give me, but I'll puff you up and be like, oh man, you're so awesome. You did this, you did that. Paul's not doing that here. He's not puffing up the Colossians in their faith and what's being produced through them. He is thankful to the God who's doing the work. So I had a friend uh, when I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, one of the elders of my church that I worked at. And you know what he used to text me every now and then? Just one little line. Gosh, I hope he listens to this. Um, Remember, you're not awesome. That's what he would text me. Just randomly sometimes. Or at the end of a conversation. Hey, Clay, just remember, you're not awesome. Now that sounds like guys being guys and just putting each other down, right? Right? But, but Rick is doing something very intentional there. He's reminding me the things that I think are awesome about my life are not because I'm awesome. It's because I have an awesome God who's working through me. He's thankful to God for what he's doing in my life. And his odd way of encouraging me through that was, you're not awesome. And that actually didn't lower my self-esteem or make me feel horrible. But, but it reminded me to stay humble. It reminded me to be thankful to God of what he is producing in my life. We all needed Rick Hatfield in our life to remind us that we're not awesome. So text somebody that today. And, but, but give them some context because you've never done that to them before. Because they're going to be like, holy cow, this guy went to church today and this pastor told him to text them, you're not awesome. Man, what kind of church? That's so discouraging. Please give them some context if you do that. Um, but I appreciated, I appreciated Rick's heart for me not to puff me up in my own awesomeness, but to point me to the one who's producing it. And that's what he does here in this prayer. He is thankful to God in some very specific ways. We see in verse 4 and 5 that he's thankful for giving them a faith in Jesus Christ that's manifested itself for a love for all the saints because of their future hope of heaven. So because they have this gospel and Jesus coming to save them, a future hope of a heavenly home, their hope is no longer in this world. Their identity is no longer in how awesome they are, but how awesome their God is. And because of this, the product, some of the fruit of the gospel that's been born in the Colossians' life is love for the saints. Isn't this what Jesus said we would be known for? Right? They will know that we are Christians by our love. If we look around the church today, do you think that the world would know we are Christians by our love. Just a question. The thanksgiving that he's giving to God in the situation is that that they've heard of their faith in Jesus Christ. They've heard of the hope they have at heaven and what that is producing is love for the saints. So he's very thankful that the Colossians are grasping the gospel. They are they are hoping for a future home in heaven, not what all the earthly things they can amass right now, and it's manifesting itself in love for one another. So when we pray the gospel for one another and we are thanking God for the work that he's doing in our lives, do we pray for other people in such a way that our love would increase for them? When we pray, are we praying for others that our love might increase for them? I think a lot of times in our prayers, we, 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 you know, we ask prayer requests for people, and we pray for things that are going on in our lives, and that's very important. I don't want to undermine praying for health or praying for somebody's family member or, or praying for reconciliation in a relationship. I don't want to demean those things, but the things we see Paul praying for and that he's thankful for here, do we pray those things for other people? like in our prayers, do we say, you know, I'm thankful for Ronnie. I'll, I'll just call you out in front of everybody to stare at you awkwardly. Uh, am, I, am I thankful for Ronnie that his salvation, his faith is rooted in Jesus Christ and that that's producing love for Rhonda. I know she might debate that, but love for, love for Rhonda and the people around us and that we're a better church because you're a part of it. When's the last time we've prayed that for somebody? And not even when's the last time we prayed that for somebody, but when's the last time we texted them or we called them or we emailed them and said, this is what I'm praying for you. That the gospel would be produced in your life and, and, and love and that we're a better place because you're here. You know, we have a deal when people join that we say, hey, we're glad you're here. And, you know, Jesus called you here to use your gifts and your talents and your abilities to help us grow in the wisdom and admonition of the Lord. But how often do we pray for that for others how often do we encourage each other that we're seeing that happen and that your gifts are encouraging me and do i overflow out of a thanksgiving to god for the gospel about what he's producing in your lives and i just got to tell you this last thursday i had one of the most encouraging ministry mornings that i've had in a long time and it had nothing to do with me I, a guy was just using me in the midst of these things, but it really wasn't me, it was him. Uh, but I got to talk with the family about a prodigal son that they have, and just, you know, he's doing a little better, but they've got some, some more issues they're trying to figure out with him, and they just want to seek some wisdom, and that we might pray together and, and see him be, you know, restored. Uh, then I, I went to another person's house right after that, and they're rebooting a community group. And we just talk through, what do we want our community groups to look like? What do we want uh, the leadership of these groups to look like? And, and how can we do that? And, and that's really fun for me. Uh, I, can, I can nerd out on that kind of stuff. Uh, but it was really encouraging to this gentleman. And, and, and now that group is being able to, to reboot and be, be centered on the gospel and how it's going to bear fruit in this community. And then I'm driving to a lunch. And, and he's in here, but I won't call him out. But a community group leader calls me and he said, Hey, this study you recommended, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, uh, you said it was one of the best Bible studies you've ever done. So that caught my attention and I watched the opening video and my mind is blown. Why was this person's mind blown? Because the grace of God was expressed so clearly in that parable, by the contrast of these two sons and the the love of the Father, it just blew his mind and he had to let me know. That was so encouraging to me. And then I went to a lunch and I got to sit down with somebody and they're just going through some struggles and I got to meet them in the midst of their struggles and simply encourage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I walked away from that morning and I didn't walk away and say, Clay's awesome. I walked away from that morning and said, our God is amazing look what he's doing in this life, look what he's doing in this life, look what he's doing at this life, and I just simply get to be a part of it. Thanks be to God. And my heart started to overflow in gratitude and thankfulness for the people, you all, <laughs> that God has put in my life that we might do this Christian life together. This is what Paul's doing here. He's so thankful for the Colossians, and the funny thing about it is he hasn't even met them. When we see later, one of the people he's thankful for that has ministered to them is Epaphras. So Epaphras has ministered to them, and he says he's a faithful minister on your behalf. Probably he heard the gospel from Paul in Ephesus and then took it back to Colossians and started this church. And so Paul's writing what Epaphras is telling him is happening in the church and so, when Paul writes them he 's encouraging people that honestly he hasn 't even met, but that he 's so excited because even though he hasn 't met them, he has everything in common with them. The gospel unites us the gospel brings us together, though we might not even know believers around this around this world right now are worshiping the same God around the same gospel, and that unites us and so Paul writes and he 's thankful for Epaphras, and that made me think when I was reading this this week man, I need to go back and thank the people that administered the gospel to me. You know, you know, out of the overflow of what God's doing in my life, I need to go back and not forget the people who shared the gospel with me for the first time. You know, I, I believed at a young age, at four years old, in a backyard Bible study at my parents' house of the Christian college that my dad was attending at the time, and they were doing a backyard Bible club. And these college students were sharing the gospel. And I remember coming inside, and I remember kneeling down with my dad at the piano, uh, little piano bench in our our house and praying to receive the Lord into my life. And then my family, a church family, Cofer's Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, really encouraged me and helped me grow in the gospel. But what would it look like this week if I just simply texted one of those people and said, Hey, I know that was 38 years ago, but thank you. For ministering the gospel to me. And maybe that person that did that for you. Has gone and been with the Lord. But the reality of the nature of the gospel. And needing it every day. Is that our, we need an ongoing need. Of the ministry of the gospel in our life today. That there's people maybe amongst us. Who are walking with us. And they're ministering the gospel to us. And what if we just took a moment this week. And sent a text or a call. Or grabbed lunch with somebody. And just let them know. How thankful We are that they're in our lives. The ministry of the gospel that they're presently giving us. Paul moves on and he starts to look at how the gospel prayer that he's praying produces. He wants to see fruit produced in others' lives. So when Paul's praying the gospel for them, he prays that it continues to bear fruit in verse 6 and verse 10. It says the gospel has been bearing fruit in them since day one when they heard and believed the gospel and understood the grace of God. And then verse 10 says... Hey, I'm I'm praying that the gospel bear fruit, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. What a prayer, right? I mean, some of us are like, look, I'm scared to pray the gospel because I can't pray like that. Well, you can rip off Paul's words here if you want to and just pray that for somebody else. That's the great thing about Scripture. We can pray Scripture. It's okay. Uh, But what does it look like for us to be like Paul And pray that the gospel might take root and produce fruit in others' lives. And so as he's going through this, he is praying for them to walk in a manner worthy of the the gospel of Jesus Christ. That sounds very lofty, sounds very high, sounds almost unattainable, right? But he goes into the specifics of what that looks like in the next verses. He goes into verse 9 and he prays for God's wisdom and that God's wisdom would inform How they walk. Or we could say it this way: what we believe and what we cultivate in our hearts, that is what's gonna the fruit that's gonna get born in our everyday life. That what we believe is going to influence and shape how we walk, or what we believe is going to shape what we do. And so if we're not constantly coming back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and asking it to bear asking the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and to bear fruit in our lives. And so we read scripture to connect with the Lord, but we also read scripture to be reminded of the gospel and who we are in him, that we might go and live in light of it today. We pray that God would produce fruit of the gospel in our lives and the lives of others so that we can see more people, as he says at the end of the passage, transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved son. So we pray on behalf of others, and we do this a lot, right? We intercede for people. We pray for their needs, and again, praying for those needs are important. But when was the last time you prayed for the gospel to bear fruit in someone else's life? I felt very convicted by all of this this week. Uh, And I think that's why the Lord let me have some interesting experiences this week. Uh, But when he prays for this fruit to be produced, uh, the first thing he prays for is, in verse 9, is that we must be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Again, that sounds pretty lofty. What does that mean? Well, the problem with the Colossians is that they are being led away by a heresy and a special knowledge that's beyond the gospel. So he already knows that when he's writing to them. Again, remember the introduction tells you about what he's going to write in the rest of the book? So he's grounding them and asking that their wisdom and their knowledge would be filled with the will of God. What's the will of God? That we would believe in his Son, That's the general will of God. I can tell that for every single person here or anybody watching online that the will of God for your life is that you would believe in His Son and let the gospel take root in your heart that it might produce fruit in your life. I can just say that for everybody. This is the will of God. This is what he desires from us and this is what Paul desires for the Colossians and he's praying that the gospel would produce this knowledge of the will that they would be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and that from that they would find all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here's our temptation as Christians. The gospel, we're tempted to believe, and I'm, I was tempted to believe this this week as I was going to preach this sermon, that we're tempted to believe the gospel is not enough. We're tempted to believe the gospel is simply not enough. And the fact of the reality as we read Paul's prayer here for the Colossians is it is more than enough. we just haven't grounded ourselves in it. We haven't explored it with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's more understanding to the grace of God in our lives and how how it insects our everyday life, how it influences how we do our work, how we relate to one another, how we relate to our marriage, how we relate to our children and parenting, how we're perceived by society around us, how we engage our neighbors. All of those are gospel issues. And if we're not rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and his gospel, all those things will not be influenced by it. And so Paul is praying for the Colossians that the gospel would bear fruit in their life that produced wisdom and understanding in how they lived their lives, how they walked worthy in the manner of Jesus Christ. He goes on and says in verse 10 that what we believe is going to shape what we do. What we believe is going to shape what we do. And we just talked about that. Uh, that the problem is that we want to depart from the gospel and to try to believe something else. And, and if we aren't rooted and grounded in it, so many other things that the world has to offer, the temptations of our heart, will, will creep into our minds and our hearts and they'll start to drive the ship. And before we know it, we'll look, uh, we'll look up and we'll look at the fruit of our lives. And it won't be gospel fruit. It'll be some kind of other fruit. Some kind of other fruit that will just fall off the vine and fail and die. But if we abide in him, he will produce great fruit in us and it will be gospel fruit. How does this gospel continue to produce fruit in our life? Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. I love that. His glorious might. So what he's saying is, if we try to live... In our own power and ability and our strengths alone, we will not produce gospel fruit. We will produce something, and it might look pretty good for a while, but the lasting nature of that fruit will not be good. And so what he's asking in this moment is that we would surrender our weaknesses to the Lord, that when we are weak, he is strong. We know that, right? Right? I mean, if I'm told you, if we're, if we're weak, who's going to be strong for you? You're like, yeah, Jesus will be strong for me. And then you walk out this door and you're like, I have no idea how this is going to happen, right? Or you're like, that's the right answer. But then as we go out the door, I'll start, you know, grabbing my own strength again and, and following my own wisdom and understanding. And before you know it, I'm lost. Even though I'm Christian, I'm lost in the life that God's calling me to live because it's not rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he prays here that they would embrace weakness and trade our weakness for his strength, that his glorious might poured out through the Holy Spirit is the fuel for the Christian life. The gospel is the foundation and the root And the Holy Spirit working in our heart is the fuel and the fire. And will we engage that? Will we engage that space with God around His gospel and asking His Holy Spirit to fill us with strength where we are weak? Will He make us strong and live through us through our weakness? That's very un American. (laughs) That's very not our culture. Our culture says, you can do it, you can strengthen yourself, you can make it happen. Speak it into existence. And what this is saying is, rooted in the gospel, we lay our weaknesses before the Lord and say, I can't live this day without you. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. I'll go ahead and add some words to that song. Every minute, every second, I need you. Do we live lives that boast in our weaknesses where the gospel can be strong? And do we pray that? Again, Paul's not asking that just for himself right here. He is asking it on the behalf of others. People he honestly hasn't even met yet. He is asking that the Lord would produce these things in their lives. And then it goes on and says that the gospel is going to produce, because when our strength is founded in him, we have endurance. We have patience. And we have joy. Joy is a hard thing for me. Like, I don't know if my life is marked by joy, but that should be a fruit of the gospel. Is that even though my circumstances might not be great and the things around me that I can see uh, might not be working the way I desire them to, I can still have joy as a Christian in my life. And not just joy, but this joy in the gospel and that, that one day my hope is in heaven. So the circumstances today don't need to cloud my future hope. The circumstances of today don't need to cloud the gospel in my life, but that if I could pray and have people praying for me, that the gospel would produce endurance and patience and joy, then I can make it. The gospel is where we find our endurance. The gospel is where we find our patience. Where's the patience in the gospel? Think about how God treats us. He is a patient father Do we pray that on the behalf of others? That they might have endurance, they might have joy, they might know that they have a patient father who, yes, you've messed up again, but he's meeting you in the midst of your mess and he wants to do something about it. He wants to change that fruit from the fruit that we've borne of pursuing our own things and he wants to change it into fruit that's born from the gospel. So will we pray this on the behalf of others? Will we pray for people's spiritual growth in the gospel. So I would love it this week, too, that if we took a moment and, and we thought about the people in our lives and the situation and circumstances we find ourselves in, uh, that we would pray for spiritual growth in their life. Something interesting happens when you start praying that for other people. You know what happens? The things that really annoy you about these people, <laughs> the thing that you really are hung up about, these people send, seem to like fade away a little bit. When you're praying for their good, when you're praying for the fruit of the gospel to be born in them, it changes your—well, first off, it puts our focus on God and what He's going to do, and then it changes our perception of the people around us. And so when we pray for people, are we praying for their spiritual growth? And then inevitably, that's going to change our attitude and perspective towards these people as we want to see Jesus Christ be rooted deeply in their life and that gospel fruit would be— produced. You know what's interesting about this list about walking in the manner worthy of the Lord that we're going through right here? None of these things we can do. These are all supernatural things that God's going to work through His gospel in the Holy Spirit in our lives. Will we be willing to say, I need wisdom and understanding that comes in the gospel? Will we be willing to say, I can't do it in my own power and ability. I'm going to embrace my weakness and, and the God who's strong for me. I can't endure this life with all patience especially, or joy, I can't do that. This is supernatural fruit of the Spirit being born in our lives, and we need to have other people praying for our spiritual growth. Not only that, but we need to be praying for others and their spiritual growth. So what would it look like this week if we, yes, I'm asking you to contact a lot of people this week, but what if we contacted them and we said, hey, this is what I'm praying for you, that the gospel would bear more fruit in your life. How encouraging would that be if you received a text from somebody or a call this week and they said, hey, I'm praying for patience and endurance and joy in your life that's found in Jesus Christ. That would be incredibly encouraging to me. You know, are we, are we going to seek to be those types of people who are praying for each other, encouraging each other, and we're not doing it in some generalized way. We're doing it rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fruit that that can produce. So this is what Paul is doing at the beginning of this letter. He is praying for them that they might the gospel that saved them might be the gospel that sanctifies them and bears much fruit, that they might be the people of God in the midst of a broken world. This is what we need to be praying for our church and for one another in this season especially, is that we could get back to the root of the gospel in our everyday life. That we could thank people who've ministered the gospel to us in the past or in the present, that we could pray on the behalf of others that gospel fruit would be born in their lives. So I go back to the points that we had today, and then one action item for you this this week. So the first point was, if we're not experiencing the grace of the gospel daily, we will not ask God to do it in the lives of others. So would we experience and pray for God to stir us up in the grace of the gospel, and may that push us to pray for someone this week that they would be able to experience the gospel daily, and we could thank them for their role and what they've done for us. The second point, gospel prayers lead us to hearts that are thankful for God and all He's done and is doing in the people around us. Would we pray for God to help us see what He's doing in the lives of others around us? You know, what's interesting about that too is it just takes us off the focus of all the things that bothers us about these people. It, It helps us to look for the good in people. It's not even the good in them, but it's the good that Christ is producing in them? It's a good exercise. And can we then reach out to these people and let them know that you're praying for them, and you're thankful for them, and you're affirming what God is doing in their life? And then thirdly, the gospel prayers produce fruit in our lives. Would we reach out to someone and say, hey, this is what I'm praying for the gospel to bear fruit in your life, and let them know that you're praying for their spiritual growth? So let's do this this week. Let's engage God in prayer, rooted in his gospel, flowing out to others, that it might produce a thankfulness and gratitude in our heart and that God might draw near to us as we draw near to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It never grows old. I I never grow tired of hearing it because I need it every day, every minute, all the time. Please forgive my forgetful heart. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for those listening, that you might help them experience the gospel daily. Lord, I pray for our church that you would move our hearts to gratitude and thankfulness, that we look to those around us, and we're not just bothered by the things that they bother us with, but that we would look and see the good that you're trying to produce in them, and that we would come alongside you in prayer. And thankfulness for what you're doing in the lives of others. Lord, I pray for our church that you would bear much gospel fruit through us. That you might give us, as Paul prayed for the Colossians today, wisdom and understanding to live our lives centered on you. That what we believe would shape how we live. That we wouldn't live in our own power and ability, but lean into your glorious might. And that it might produce endurance and patience and joy and love and all the fruit of the Spirit. That we might encourage one another and be a witness to the world. In Christ's name, amen.